Al-Bayan Radio presents Prophetic Pearls, a brief explanation of the 40 hadith of Imam al-Nawawi presented by Nidal Ayyubi. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wassalatu wassalamu ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Assalamu alaikum dear brothers and sisters and welcome to our new series on Al-Bayan Radio which we have called Prophetic Pearls. A brief explanation of the 40 hadith of Imam al-Nawi, rahimuhullah. So this series, bi-idhnillahi ta'ala, will be a concise, brief, but insha'Allah informative series speaking about this great collection of hadith which this great Imam, Imam al-Nawi, rahimuhullah, selected. And he selected 40 of the most important hadith for the Muslim. In other words, hadith which every Muslim should know. So Imam al-Nawi, rahimuhullah, he collected 40 hadith and many others after him commented on this great collection from the most popular commentaries is the commentary of Imam Ibn Rajab Rahimuhullah who added a few more hadith and made it 50 and his commentary is one of the best commentary which has great great benefits in it so who is Imam Al-Nawi? his name is Imam Abu Zakariya Yahya bin Sharaf Al-Nawawi and he was born in the village of Nawa in the vicinity of Damascus in the year 631 after Hijrah or 1233 CE. It said that he grew up in Nawa and at the age of 19 went to study in Damascus and at that time Damascus my dear brothers and sisters was considered the center of learning and scholarship. And it is mentioned that during his stay in Damascus, Imam al-Nawi rahimahullah studied under more than 20 great ulama who were regarded as experts and authorities in their fields and in their disciplines. And this great Imam al-Nawi, he had a great first for knowledge and it's mentioned that he would attend or read 12 lessons daily and write commentaries on every lesson he attended. And the ulama said about him that his intelligence, hard work, love, devotion and his concentration and dedication to his studies amazed his teachers so much so my dear brothers that they became fond of him and began to praise and admire him. It was reported that he stayed two years without reclining on his bed. Imam Nawi lived a life where he did not marry. He was very pious. He was righteous. After over 20 years, he returned back to his hometown of Noah. And it's mentioned he fell ill there and passed away in the year 676 after Hijrah or 1278 CE at the age of 45. May Allah have mercy upon him. The ulama, they said even though he lived a short life, a short period of time, he authored many, many great books on different topics, such as Riyadh al-Salihin, this great book which every Muslim probably has in their house. Also, he authored Sharh of Sahih Muslim, a commentary on Sahih Muslim, another classical work that pretty much every student of knowledge has in their library. And also he has many other books in fiqh and other topics as well. And the book at hand we have is the 40 Hadith, his most popular, or one of his most popular works, which every Muslim has in their house and which every beginning student of knowledge should memorize when beginning their journey in seeking knowledge. Na'alim Asadim Imam Rahimahullah that he was a great scholar, a specialist in many fields. He was an expert in Hadith, in Fiqh, in Arabic grammar, and his books were accepted amongst the Muslims. And as the ulama said, this is what Allah knows best because of his good intentions and sincerity to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because as we mentioned before, this book that we're speaking about, Al-Arbain al-Nawawiyah and Riyad al-Salihin and Sahih Muslim and many other works especially in the madhab of a shafi'i shafi'i fiqh his works 
widespread and accepted. So he was a great imam. His books spread and were benefited from and until this day are benefited from greatly. So may Allah have mercy upon him and may Allah continue to allow us to benefit from his great book. Such as the book we will be studying ta'ala, the 40 hadith or Al-Arbeen Al-Nawawiyyah. And the intention of the goal of studying the 40 hadith is to memorize the hadith, understand the hadith and most importantly implement what is found in this hadith. That is what our goal is insha'Allah. Now Imam Nawawi started off his book with an with a introduction and then he started with the first hadith. Due to this series being brief and concise, we'll get straight into the first hadith bi'idhnillahi ta'ala. And the first hadith is a great hadith. And that is the hadith which is known as hadith of Umar radiallahu anhu. Al-hadith al-awwal An Amir al-Mu'mineen Abi Hafsin Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu Qal سمعت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يقول إنما الأعمال بالنيات وإنما لكل امرئ ما نوى فمن كانت هجرته إلى الله ورسوله فهجرته إلى الله ورسوله ومن كانت هجرته لدنيا يصيبها أو امرأة ينكحها فهجرته إلى ما هاجر إليه Prophet ﷺ, he said, Actions are but by intentions, and every man shall have only that which he intended. Thus, he whose migration, or hijrah to Medina from Mecca, was for Allah and his messenger, his migration was for Allah and his messenger. And he whose migration was to achieve some worldly benefit, or to take some woman in marriage, his migration was for that for which he migrated. And this hadith is found in Bukhari and Muslim which are the two most authentic books of hadith. Now, there is a circumstance to this hadith, which the ulama mentioned, just as we have asbab and nuzul or circumstances regarding why certain verses from the Qur'an reveal, there is also, as the ulama called it, asbab wurud al-hadith, or circumstances surrounding particular speech of the Prophet or why a hadith was spoken or said. And as we know many times, when we know the circumstances surrounding why a certain verse was revealed or why a hadith was mentioned, one will, insha'Allah, understand or derive the correct meaning of the verse or hadith. So to really, to completely understand a verse or hadith, it is essential to determine whether or not there was a particular incident that led up to that verse or hadith. And for this hadith, it's been mentioned by the ulama that this hadith was stated concerning a man who wanted to marry a woman named Um Qais, but she refused to marry him unless he would migrate from Mecca to Medina. Therefore, he migrated in order to marry her. Ibn Mas'ud said about him that afterward he was called the migrant of Um Qais. Ibn Hajar, he said the chains of this narration are authentic. But he said, rahimahullah, that there is nothing in the narration that explicitly states that it was the cause for the Prophet ﷺ to say this hadith, However, he does make the point that this statement does apply to that particular person, even though he probably was not the cause behind this statement. Wallahu alam. Now, we'd like to mention something about the narrator of this hadith, who is Umar radiyallahu. Anhu. Now what I would like to do in this series ta'ala, is very briefly mention a bit about each narrator of the hadith. The one who reports the hadith from the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. We know Umar bin al-Khattab radiallahu anhu 
He is one of the greatest companions of the Prophet ﷺ. He was a strong-willed person and very well respected in Mecca. There's a report in Musnad Ahmad that the Prophet ﷺ actually prayed for either Abu Jahal or Umar. He prayed for them to be guided to Islam. And we know by the grace and will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and by his mercy, Umar anhu embraced Islam in the Meccan stage of the da'wah. We know the Prophet ﷺ became a prophet when he was 40 and he stayed in Mecca for 13 years before making the migration to Medina. So in the middle, roughly, Umar al-Khattab accepted Islam and this was a great victory for the Muslims. This gave them strength. As Ibn Mas'ud said, that they were greatly strengthened by his conversion and continued to gain strength after Umar's conversion to Islam. And we know that Umar participated in all the battles of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And he, Umar al-Farooq which he was also known by, he succeeded Abu Bakr as the Khalifa. And we know that he led the Muslims and defeated the Persian and Roman empires and he extended the rule of Islam from Iran to Egypt and laid down the institutions of the new government and society and he also he is known for his profound knowledge of the Quran and Hadith and also for his insight into Fiqh radiallahu anhu. And we know from the beliefs of Ahl sunnah wal Jama'ah is that Amr al-Khattab is the greatest man from the companions after Abu Bakr. So the Prophet and messengers are the greatest. Then we have Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. Then we have Umar radiallahu anhu. He was a great man, a pious man, a God-fearing man, one who stood up for the truth, very brave, and he radiallahu anhu served Islam greatly. May Allah be pleased with him. So now the question I might ask, why did Imam Noah begin his book with this hadith? The ulama, they said he began his book with this hadith for the purpose of giving a reminder on the importance of a niyyah correct intention and that the author Imam Nawi and others as well other ulama they began with this hadith to remind those who wish to do good deeds wish to seek knowledge wish to do any good deed that they must firstly have a sincere intention for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala this hadith is from the great hadith which a simple in terms of the wordings meaning it's a hadith with simple expressions but has a great or comprehensive meaning and so much benefit can be derived from it. And this is one of the miracles of the Prophet ﷺ, that he was given Jawami al-Kalim. He was given this miracle where he could say a few words but these words will have so much meaning and so much benefit that books can be written on them. So he would speak a few words which would entail a great deal of knowledge and extensive benefit. This hadith, my dear brothers and sisters, is a great foundation regarding the actions of the heart due to intentions being from the actions of the heart. The scholars have said that this hadith is actually half of worship because it is the scale of the inward actions as well as the hadith of Aisha عنها, which we shall cover later on where the Prophet said Whoever innovates into this affair of ours that which is not from it shall have it rejected. In another wording Whoever does an action that is not from this affair of ours shall have it rejected. This hadith is half of the religion because it is the scale of the outward actions. So the benefit derived from his statement, the Prophet ﷺ statement, the rule of actions depends on their intention, is that there is no action except that it has an intention. That is because it is impossible for any person that has intellect and the ability of choice to perform an action without an actual intention. We also benefit from this hadith, my dear brothers and sisters, that actions as well are based upon what they lead to. 
Therefore, something that is mubah in its origin, meaning permissible in its origin, can become obedience when a person intends well. For example, when a person intends in his eating and drinking piety and obedience to Allah, meaning he's intending from behind his eating and drinking or resting, obedience to Allah, this will give him energy to worship Allah, to study for the sake of Allah, to give da'wah for the sake of Allah, then he'll be rewarded for this. And we also benefit from this hadith that is appropriate for the teacher to strike an example, to give an example that clarifies the verdict or to clarify the point he is teaching. Because the Prophet ﷺ, he gave in this hadith the example of migration. And as we know, migration is to leave from the land of shirk to the land of Islam. And he also clarified that migration is one action that a person can be rewarded for or can receive sin for. So the one who migrates for Allah and his messenger is rewarded and achieves that which he intended. And the one who migrates to achieve some worldly benefit or to take some woman in marriage is prevented from this reward. And the ulama, they said that this hadith is one of the four hadith which the whole of Islam revolve around. The other hadith being, halala bayinun wa harama bayinun. Certainly that which is lawful is clear and that which is unlawful is clear. And inshallah we'll be taking this hadith later on in the series. The third hadith being, izhad fima fi aydin nas nas. Hold back from that which is in the hands of people and the people will love you. We'll also be taking this hadith insha'Allah in future episodes of this series. And the final hadith of that which the ulama said Islam revolves around is the hadith min husn al-islam al-mar'i tarquhu ma la yani from the perfection of the religion of a man is that he leaves what concerns him not or he leaves that which does not concern him. So this hadith, my dear brothers and sisters, as we said, is a hadith which the religion of Islam revolves around. Ta'alama have stated that any act of worship must have two conditions. The first condition being ikhlas, sincerity. That your intention must be for the sake of Allah. You must be sincere when you are performing this act of worship. And secondly, this act of worship that you are performing is in accordance with the Quran and Sunnah. So some of the ulama, they said that this hadith, actions about by intentions, is a third of knowledge. Because the actions of man involve his heart, his tongue, and his limbs. And hence the intention in the heart is a third of that. Other scholars said that the whole religion is encompassed in three hadith, as we mentioned before. And once again, they mentioned that the halal is clear, the haram is clear, and between them are doubtful matters. That's another hadith, the second hadith, which Islam revolves around, as we mentioned earlier. And also, they mentioned the other hadith is, whoever innovates in this religion of ours, which is not from it, will have his actions rejected. So these are what other ulama said as well, that Islam revolves around these hadith. Before we mentioned four, and now we mentioned three. Wallahu alam. So as we said, worship is only accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when it fulfills two conditions. One is this worship is done sincerely for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And two, it follows the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Meaning this act of worship is in accordance with the sharia with what the Prophet ﷺ came with, the Qur'an and the Sunnah. And these two conditions are indicated in Surah Al-Kahf, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَمَنْ كَانَ يَرْجُوا لِقَاءَ رَبِّهِ فَلْيَعْمَلْ عَمَلًا صَالِحًا وَلَا يُشْرِكْ بِعِبَادَةِ رَبِّهِ أَحَدًا So whoever hopes for the meeting with his Lord, let him work righteousness and associate none as a partner in the worship of his Lord. Ibn Kathir, rahimuhullah, he said regarding let him work righteousness in, in the verse we just mentioned, this means 
that which is in accordance with the laws of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The second part of the ayah, and associate none as a partner in the worship of his Lord, means worship in which he seeks the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone, with no partner and no associate. These are the basis of acceptable deeds that it must be sincerely for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and correct according to the sharia of the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in many ayat in the Quran, many verses in the Quran, he reminds us and tells us and informs us that worship should be done sincerely and purely for his sake alone. Such as Surah Al-Bayyinah where Allah says, وَمَا أُمِرُوا إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُوا اللَّهَ مُخْلِصِينَ لَهُ الدين حنفاء حنفاء ويقيم الصلاة ويؤت الزكاة وذلك دين القيمة. And they were commanded not. But they should worship Allah alone and worship none but Him alone, meaning abstaining from ascribing partners to Him and to perform a salah, prayers, and to give zakah, and that is the right religion. And also, Allah says in Surah Al Layl. <laughs> And who has in mind no favor from anyone to be paid back except to seek the countenance of his Lord the Most High. The Prophet said that Allah does not accept any deed except that which is done only for him and to seek his countenance. Hadith is found in Sunan Nisa'i and classified as Sahih by Shaykh al-Albani. Now, a question I may ask, where is the place of intention? Do I pronounce it on my tongue? Do I indicate with my hands? Or is it in the heart? The ulama, they said that the place of the niyyah is the heart and is not the tongue. So this means that making a statement for your intention is not from the sunnah. So for example, some people may say before they pray, for example, Fajr, I have the intention to pray two rak'ah Fajr. And this is not from the sunnah of the Prophet So we also learn from this hadith, my dear brothers and sisters, that every conscious, free-willed act has an intention behind it that is driving it and bringing it about. We also learn from this hadith that a person will achieve whatever he intended. First, he who does something for Allah and his messenger will be rewarded accordingly. But he who does something for the dunya, for the sake of the dunya, for the sake of worldly pursuits, not to seek the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then he will receive that which he intended for. Now, if a person does a proper deed solely for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, his purpose would have been met and his deed will be accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And also we learn from this hadith that migration is a noble act when you migrate for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To migrate from a land of kufr to a land of Islam or to migrate from a place of disobedience to a place of obedience or to migrate to somewhere where you can practice your religion better, this is a praiseworthy action. So migration when it's done should be done for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So to conclude and summarize my dear brothers and sisters, we said that this hadith the actions are but by intentions is one of the most comprehensive hadith of the Prophet. It touches upon almost every single deed. And Imam Abu Dawood he said that, that this hadith is one half of Islam. And Imam Shaf he said that this hadith encompasses half of knowledge. And other reports, such as from Imam Ahmad, said that this hadith covers one third of knowledge, as we mentioned. Because we know, my dear brothers and sisters, that the basis of any good deed is sincerity to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he revealed his books, 
He sent his messengers and created the creation for the purpose of worship, to worship him, to worship Allah alone. And as we know, many, many scholars prefer to begin their works with this hadith, as we see in Sahih al-Bukhari. And as some of the ulama said, it is a must for everyone who is to write a book to begin with this hadith in order to instill within the student the need for a proper intention that you're reading this book, you're doing it for her, you're doing it for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. My dear brothers and sisters, this hadith basically measures our inward actions as we mentioned. An example, you may have two people praying the same prayer at the same time in the same outward fashion the same outward actions but the difference in reward is like the difference between the heavens and the earth why you may ask one his intention is for the sake of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala while the other his intention may be to show off for some worldly reasons and benefits so we ask allah to purify our actions for us and make our actions sincerely for him and make all our intentions that which is pleasing to him subhanahu wa ta'ala this is all we have time for for today, my dear brothers and sisters. Barakallahu feekum. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.